struck me even harder because uh, we, we were having a discipleship group for a few months, and we just finished it right before we, uh, I was leaving for Korea. And so that was this whole, I, the whole uh, subject was still fresh on, on my mind. You know, unlike here, where there's pressure to get married if you are single, there's a lot of pressure, right? Um, there, they're very casual and have, they have this mindset of, let's just date around and see what happens, right? I just want some kind of warm body next to me. That's just their mindset a lot of times. So they're very casual. And, <clears throat> and um, you know, when I, I, I had a chance to talk to some uh, singles while I was out there. And, um, you know, all they talk about is their ideal type. You know, like for, for women, they want their man to be like certain height. It has to be, he, he has to be tall. He has to be like really good looking. Um, for the man, it's really about like what kind of like uh, celebrity that she should look like, right? I want this kind of type of, you know, their favorite, like, you know, good-looking man, and I want that kind of guy. And that's all they talk about, and um, they just really talk about, um, you know, the, how the potential suitor uh, should really uh, cater to their needs, whatever the needs that they have, right? And most of the people that I talk to, they're Christians, and yet uh, God is really out of the equation. Like, God is nowhere to be found in their search, right? It's really about finding a soulmate, right? Who would, basically, their idea is uh, a soulmate who would come along and help fulfill their own desires, whether it is financial security, whether it is finding somebody that uh, social acceptance, because as single, they feel somebody missing. So they want somebody so they can get married and have the married status, right? So that they can be more accepted within their circle of friends and all these things. Um, and it's such a, uh, what, what I was struck with is such an unbiblical, unhealthy view of marriage or even dating, right? Um, that just really struck me. Um, and so one thing I see is like a lot of these uh, relationships end up in bad breakups. Uh, it really just breaks their hearts and they get hurt and then they just carry their wounds into the next relationship and it's still doing the same thing. Uh, dating around, seeing what's going to happen, and then they get hurt again, and they get hurt again, and it just repeats the vicious cycle. Here in America, if you are single, and if, you, if you're not in, in a relationship, then it can kind of make you uh, feel lonely, and it kind of gives you the impression that, that you are missing out. You are missing out in life. Um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of, like, dating apps, right? Um, that's just uh, popping up everywhere. And it's just meet the surging demand because there's just not enough. Like when I was like younger, a lot younger when I was single, there was only one dating app called eHarmony, right? That's all we had. Uh, no, actually, there's, I take it back. They're like date.com, dating.com, whatever. Uh, but these days, there are a lot of, there are so many more. And there's even a dating app called farmersonly.com, right? Basically, I'm like, what kind of dating app is that? It's basically catered just to the people in the, the country, uh, countryside, right? People in the boondock, I guess. I don't know. And then, so we, you know, these are something that they talk about how, like, the city folks just wouldn't get kind of thing. So, I mean, they're, like, highly specialized. Why are these things really are there? It's because there is demand. There are people are looking here. Contrary to the pop culture, 
the Bible says that it is good to be single. It is good to be single, whereas the pop culture says, no, it is not. In fact, Paul, being single himself, he prefers it. Because you can devote yourself wholly to the Lord. Your, your time, your effort, your energy, uh, all of your attention can be devoted to serving God. Whereas the, for the married couples, that is a fact of life, right? That we have to be concerned about our family, our spouse, our in-laws, and all these things. You know, when I was single, you know, I used to feel pretty miserable, um, and I would complain to God all the time, like, God, what are you doing this to me? Why am I still single? You know, like, what about me? You know, I want someone to share my life with. Um, and I really felt like life was passing me by. Um, I, was, I felt like I was stuck in a place where everyone is, like, moving along, right? My friends, you know, they were getting, you know, just married and all these things. And I felt like I was, on a, I was running on a treadmill. I was running, sweating. And all these things, and yet I wasn't going anywhere. I was being left behind. And it discouraged me. Um, in the end, when I look back, like getting married was an end. It, it was like a goal in my life. It was an idol. Um, I didn't really embrace my singleness. And I had little understanding of what God's will was for me during that season of my life. I just, uh, I felt, at that time, I felt like it was just a phase that I just wanted to get out of. I just don't want to be single anymore. I want to get married, God. Please send somebody. Maybe uh, some of you guys, I know some of us are married, and some of us are singles here. You know, some of you singles may be going through that right now. Um, and, you know, as, I was, as we were having that uh, discipleship group, too, uh, we did have a you know, couple of singles, and I felt like uh, that's what they were going through at the time. So then what should be our understanding, and what about the married couples? You know, what should be our understanding on this whole topic? And how can the church minister to the singles? Um, you know, we've been uh, focusing on Joseph uh, for the last few months. Uh, but, you know, the story of Joseph would not even be possible if we weren't for what God is doing here in this chapter. Because Isaac and Rebecca are his grandparents. Right? So it's almost like a, not a prequel, but you know, the, you know, what happens here makes the whole story of Joseph even possible because God is doing something special here. So you know, today's passage is a story of um, how Isaac and Rebecca met, and how they ended up getting married. Uh, it's actually nothing like, uh, nothing like the 21st century Western readers would expect. Uh, it's almost like an arranged uh, marriage. But, you know, its purpose, the purpose of this chapter is not to show us the, the manual, right, for how to get married, how to find the love of your life or how to get married, how to find somebody, right? Rather, it is revealing the covenant-keeping uh, faithfulness of God, how God is faithful to set a keep the promises that he has made to his people, that God is faithful to people, to his people. 
So the one thing that really stands out in this chapter, even though we may be just looking at, oh, so this is what, uh, what Isaac or his, uh, the Abraham servants did. One thing that the dominant theme here is the faithfulness of God and the sovereignty of God. So in this story, Abraham is well advanced in years, over 120 years old. And he, you know, in the previous chapters, you know, he also went through the, he already went through the fiery test of being asked, right, to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, right? That's a pretty famous chapter, famous story that everybody basically knows. You know, through the the incredible uh, promise given to him when he and Sarah were pretty old, advanced in years, that God would grant them a child. And so once the child Isaac came, I mean, he was the apple of his eyes. He was like, he was so precious to him, and yet God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. So he went through that fiery test, and he passed. So he went through all of that, and uh, by this chapter, Sarah is no longer with, with him either. He's a widower. Now he wants to make sure that the right bride is chosen for his son Isaac. So he sends his loyal servant to his homeland to find a woman. He does not want any Canaanite woman uh, with whom, like, you know, the people in his vicinity at the time, because they do not know God. He really wanted to find somebody who is close to him, somebody who would know God. And it's very important for us uh, and for the singles to, to recognize that, that that's just a non-negotiable, right? To find someone who is a Christian, someone who knows the Lord. Anyways, in this, uh, in this chapter, the, for, for this servant, if you are in his shoes, it is a daunting task, right? Because um, it is a long trip. And he doesn't even know, right? He doesn't even know who, who uh, he's supposed to look for. I mean, it's not like there is no profile picture, right, he's looking for. He has no idea. Abraham doesn't know who, you know, who she is, exactly who she is. But he just tells them. I mean, there are enough, like, details. But he basically goes, and you go and find her, right? And... Um, um, how did, the thing is, how did Abraham know that God would provide the right woman for his son? And what we see here is that he trusted the promises of God. In verse 7, it says, the Lord, uh, Abraham is speaking, right? The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Right? So one thing that, that really just that he was clinging onto, he was holding onto, was the promise that God has given to him, that God would uh, make his uh, offspring, uh, descendants, great. Right? And that I will give to your offspring, I will give this land. So he uh, clings and believes in their promise. Isaac was God's possession. God's promise on Abraham's descendants would never come to pass unless God keeps his promise. He looks forward to God's continuing guidance and provision. And, um, and I think um, Abraham learned his lesson from the whole like Hagar and Ishmael fiasco 
not to not to really trust the flesh because even though God has given God, uh, God has given Abraham the promise uh, of the uh, for for his uh, descendant, uh, and yet he could not just trust because the, the baby was not simply coming. So he basically had to go and um, you know take in uh, Sarah's um, uh, you know maid uh, Hagar, and then they produced a son. So he thought that would be the the heir, and then Sarah has. Isaac, right, provides, and because of that, you know, the, the, the Sarah's jealousy, right, basically Hagar and Ishmael had to be driven off uh, from their household. Um, and uh, the Ishmael is basically the, uh, the, the uh, I guess, the, the father, basically, to, uh, to the, the current, like, the Palestinians, right, Arabs. And so think about, like, the choice that Abraham made at the time the consequence is even felt even now, right? Just all, the whole like tension in the Middle East. It is through the, the one man's hurried uh, reaction, right? Not really just waiting for God's timing and just kind of trying to take matters into his own hands. So anyways, because through all that, he learns not to trust the flesh to secure the promise, but to rely on God's supernatural provision, right? says, God will provide. How do I know? It's because God has promised, given me the promise to, to, to this land, your offspring, offspring will be. Right? So he, he, he tells him, tells the servant this promise. And in verse 12, says, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today. The servant is saying, once he gets to, to the city, uh, of, of Abraham, uh, his hometown, and show steadfast love to my master, Abraham. Here, so the servant prays for steadfast love. And the word uh, steadfast love here in original language, in Hebrew, is hesed. Um, and this, this word hesed uh, in Hebrew means loyalty to a covenant relationship. That's what it means. Please so basically, he's praying. He start uh, once he gets there, sits by the well. Uh, around the time that all the women of the city would just come out to get water, he's asking for the covenant faithfulness of God, right? And this word uh, "hesed" uh, or "hesed" uh, has no Greek or English equivalent. Uh, sometimes it is translated with the Greek word that we are familiar with, agape. Sometimes it is uh, hesed in Hebrew can be translated sometimes in, 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 uh, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament as agape, right? And other times the word mercy is used there's, because there is no one word that would exactly fit what it means. But the idea is clear that this servant was asking God, uh, the God of Abraham, his master, please show my master Abraham your covenant faithfulness. You've been loyal to him. Please show him your love, right? Your just uh, loyal love to my master. And we see that this whole process was no fluke or an accident. The servant asks for a sign, 
in verse 14. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown hesed or steadfast love to my master. Here, the servant is asking for a sign. He's asking for a sign. And I think this request for a sign is appropriate because it was, because uh, uh, when you consider the fact that his mission was to advance the messianic line, because through, only through the Abraham and his descendants that the promised Messiah would come. So it is proper, it is fitting to ask for a sign. And the sign would also be given, right? As we know, through the birth of Jesus, right? The sign will be given that a virgin will give birth to a child. It was through uh, Abraham's descendants, this prom- promised Messiah would come. So it is it's fitting to ask for that. And we just, as we just read in the rest of the verses, we see God orchestrating everything when Abraham trusted him. That's the only thing that he was, uh, he, uh, he was holding on to, the promise of God. And so the servant, in the end, after he, fought, uh, he, fought, he ran, in, ran into uh, Rebecca, right? And he, just, and he says in verse 27, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his uh, hesed, steadfast love, and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. That God orchestrates everything to lead him to find the right person. God's purpose will prevail against all odds. It will, however unlikely it may seem. One thing that we uh, have to notice is that, that God is sovereign, that we are to acknowledge his sovereignty. Uh, we are to trust that he will lead us. And especially for the singles, you have to know that he will lead us, right? Notice I didn't say that he will lead us to find us, find you a spouse. I did not say that, but he will lead every one of us. He will lead you in your life, and that may or may not involve a spouse. Maybe that's not what you might wanted to hear. It's like, you know, it's, oh, God will lead me and God will let me, lead me to a, a spouse. But that's not necessarily true. That's not the promise that God has given each and every one of us, right? God will lead us. God will lead our future, but they, it, it may or may not involve a person. So I think I said this before, but um, back when I was uh, in the 90s, um, I was, uh, I was a youth pastor uh, at a church, a large church. And at the time, there was this whole, like, uh, national youth movement, Christian youth movement called True Love Waits. So basically because there was so much, like, uh, promiscuity uh, and, like, sexual immorality was so rampant during the time, you know, some of, I think that some of the, the Christians uh, just got together and said, hey, we got to really challenge our young people, right, especially the Christian youth that they would just uh, pledge, you know, abstinence, until sexual abstinence until marriage, right? So 
the whole campaign started and it just caught fire, right? So like, um, it, it was targeting teenagers and even college students, uh, pledging uh, the uh, abstinence. Um, and what they would do is um, they would, in each church, you know, in their own youth groups, they would have this campaign and just like, you know, involve the parents too, and then encourage the parents to go and just go with their, you know, kids uh, to, to, to buy them like a purity like ring or like a necklace as a pledge, as they are making a pledge before God and before their uh, parents and, and, and their uh, friends in the youth group, that God, uh, they would make the pledge. And then we would have a huge, like we would have banquet, and then uh, you know, just parents would come, the, the students come, and then they would just cry, oh, you know, we're gonna, you know, he, they're making a commitment to stay pure uh, until marriage, and so like making the all, and so like, and then the parents would just give them the ring or uh, you know, like the necklace and all these things, and it was good and all, and like they were like, um, I heard again, there was like a pleasure you had to just sign and. Uh, all these things, and like it, it's just well over like in millions of um, the Christian youth throughout the country, it just caught fire, right? And um, so they were doing all these things, and you know, I want to be a really like hip and like really like uh, kind of I'm with it kind of pastor. Right? That that's what I wanted. So without thinking anything, and it sounded just right, right? I mean, you look at all the the, the promiscuity that was happening uh, in the youth culture at the time. And so I said, let's just, you know, just pledge ourselves, you know, hey, just say no to all the temptations. And, you know, until you're married, you know, you should stay pure. So I just, you know, just talked about abstinence and all these things. Fine, right? But it wasn't until later that I came to realize what, I, what I've done. The intention was good, but the whole preposition, uh, presupposition is something that, that, that God has never promised because the whole campaign was called True Love Waits, right? True Love Waits for what? True Love Waits for the right, uh, the, your spouse, meaning the whole thing was predicated, or it was the whole idea, assumption was that you are going to get married. You are going to get married, but if you stay pure before God, then you know, God will bring you just the right person along, right? So if you keep yourself sexually pure for your spouse until marriage, right, then that is what true love is all about. The whole idea was that you will find someone. God will bring you someone. Right? But where does it say that, that you will get married? Is that because something that everyone does, everyone is getting married, so you should get married? or that you will find somebody? Well, what about the people who made a pledge, you know, really uh, kept themselves pure, but were never married? It was never, maybe it was not uh, the, the, the will of God for them to never get married. What about for, for those people? What are they saying, right? Even though as a pastor, I would say, if you stay pure, true love, you know, if you have the true love, right, you got to wait and God will bring you someone in your life. For Abraham and Isaac, they received a special promise from God that the nations will be blessed through them, that they will possess the land there, and the Messiah would come through them 
And as part of God's faithfulness to that promise, this chapter shows how God has brought, uh, brought Rebekah to Isaac. But God's purpose and plan for you is different just because that's how miraculously God has worked for Abraham and Isaac does not necessarily mean that that's how God's going to work in your life and that God will bring some, uh, work some magic and miracle in your life to, so that you will find somebody in your life, right? That's, this is not some kind of secret formula to follow to get results. What it's really emphasizing is the covenant-keeping faithfulness of God, that God is sovereign. We have to recognize that God is sovereign, and he has a purpose for each and every one of us. And we can trust that, that he will lead us. Whatever the plan that God has for us, he will lead us. What we have to recognize is that he's not interested in giving us what we want. Even though we can pray, we can say, God, this is what I want. Please give me this. I want this to happen in my life. But that's not what the, the primary focus of God. What he's more focused and what he's far more interested in is shaping us and molding us into his likeness. Even if it makes heartbreaks, even if it means giving us things that we don't want, suffering, all these things. Because he's far more interested in us being broken before him and being uh, producing the Christ-like character in us, he's more interested in that than giving us what we want as if he were you know, like a you know, Christian version of Santa Claus. Right? He will orchestrate and he will steer everything to accomplish his purpose in our lives. You know, I got married when I was 40 and man, I, I was getting really nervous at the time, right? Because uh, leading up to that, I was losing hope that I may get, uh, get married. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm getting old and like there's no one. All the good catch is gone, right? Uh, what am I going to do? But you know, God brought grace, right, uh, into my life. Uh, I, I'm really thankful. Uh, but at the time, I almost kind of said, Lord, I guess I may, not, may never get married, right? But somehow, miraculously, God has brought uh, her into my life. Now, once again, I'm not saying that that's what, that's what happened to everyone, right? God has a different purpose for every one of us. So we have to just recognize that he will lead us every step of the way. And another thing uh, that I just wanted to talk about uh, about this whole topic is it's a contentment uh, in Christ, contentment in Christ. In our culture, it's sending out all the wrong signals about getting, getting into a relationship or, you know, being in a relationship, um, there's a distorted view of love and marriage. It's just everywhere. Basically, love, true love, uh, has been, genuine love has been replaced with sex or infatuation. Um, and just, it's just immorality is everywhere, all around us. And also, the culture tells us, right, this world tells us that we need a special someone in our lives to really fulfill us, to complete us. So there's a really like old movie called Jerry Maguire. Um, like somebody like Caleb would never know. Uh, but if you know, 
Jerry Maguire, the movie, that means you are kind of old, right? You're over the hill. Uh, but there's a, there's a part in the movie where um, this, you know, guy, this single guy, single woman, um, you know, Tom Cruise, and Renee Zellweger, whoever. Um, so it's there, and then in the, towards the, in the climax of the movie, right? He goes to, he finally reali realizes that she's the one that he was waiting for, that he was in love with her, and that in front of everybody, right? Like, he says, you know, you complete me, right? And then, like, it's a chick flick, um, and then all the ladies, oh, that is so cute, you know, you complete me, right? And so, um, I thought it was cute, but then, you know, if you're biblically speaking, that is really not true, right? Um, it's sweet, it's romantic, but is it? When you don't have a creator and a redeemer, of course, you got to have someone in your life to fill the void in your heart. And that sense of emptiness and the loneliness, if it is not someone, then it can be, it will be something, right? like money, entertainment, it could be pornography, it could be prestige, you know, even drugs, games, whatever, right? We just want something to fill our void, fill our emptiness with something or someone, right? It makes sense for the world to look elsewhere since it does not know God. It does not love him. It doesn't know him. So, of course, it will try to find the sense of fulfillment or sense of belonging, sense of being complete from someone, someone or something. But the gospel tells us that we have a creator God who formed us wonderfully and fearfully. He even knows the number of hair right, on our head. Who does, who does, who knows that, right? But he, do, he does. And we have a, not only a creator God, but this creator God is our redeemer God who came down from heaven into this messed up world to give his life and to let us know that we are his beloved. Don't listen to the lie that no one loves you or cares about you because that is a lie. The cross of Christ for all eternity proves that we are precious to, the God, to Almighty God. You know, there is a song that I think we're going to sing after this in a closing praise. Uh, Christ is enough. And when we, uh, you know, the song, when we, say, or when we say that Christ is enough, right, we are saying that he is enough in our lives. Christianity is not Christ plus something or someone, right? Christ himself is enough. Even if God does not provide someone, we still say Christ is enough. And that has to be our testimony. Christ is enough. Even if you are married, right, we can say Christ is enough. Even if you do not get what you want. Christianity is not Christ plus the success of my kids. Christianity is not Christ and financial security. That's not Christianity. Christianity says Christ He's enough in our lives. We as the bride, we are to keep ourselves pure for our true groom, 
Christ. And marriage is to reflect that spiritual, it's a profound mystery, the spiritual reality. Just as Christ has loved the church, that we are one with him, our marriage is to reflect that mystery, the profound mystery of being one. Two uh, sinful uh, human beings coming together and being united in the Lord. Our purpose is not to, you know, flourish, not to see our kids flourish. It is not to just, you know, uh, make sure to secure a, uh, you know, like solid uh, retirement. Our purpose in marriage is to consecrate and also to help our spouse become more like Christ. That is the ultimate purpose of marriage. It is nothing else. It is to really just help as we come along and just become the, 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 the biggest cheerleader, the biggest supporter and a helper to each other so that we can be more like Christ. That is the, the ultimate purpose of marriage. So for the singles, enjoy your singleness while you are in that season because you do have more time and flexibility. And it is time for you to be fruitful in growing spiritually, serving, and developing meaningful uh, relationships. And what can, the, what can the church do? Married people, we also have a role, right? Tim Keller says, to, uh, he says that we are to invest in the singles. The Christian marriage, he says, should be communal. It should be communal. It is never meant to be individual or unilateral. unilateral right? What that means is that married Christians should look for ways to share their marriages with the singles. Not just the glorious part about marriage. Not just only talking about the good parts, what is good about being married, but also be able to really share the realistic, holistic picture of marriage. Because, you know, marriage, you know, this world says, you know, happily ever after. And that's what this world, the Disney tells us, right? But even the difficult parts, there are struggling parts that every married couple goes through. But to really just share, hey, we are going through this, and yet it's difficult, it's hard, and yet by the grace of God, this is what we are doing to making men's, to, uh, to really just to spur one another. And I think that's something that, that, that I, I've seen uh, when we are going, having that uh, discipleship uh, on marriage, that uh, the married couples and also the singles, when they came together, and as you know, the, the married couples were sharing uh, about some of the struggles that they were going through, I think the singles were kind of, Somewhat like it was an eye-opening experience for them. I, I think that's what I heard. It was an eye-opening experience that, because, you know, when we come to church, we just only just kind of try to show only the good parts. But, you know, in, in, the, in the setting, in a safe environment, they were able to share some of the struggles that they were going through and how they were trying to resolve differences, uh, different expectations that they were having on each other, and how they were struggling, going, uh, struggling through that, right? And that's something that we can do as, uh, for those of us 
uh, that God is um, allowed to get married, that your marriage can be such an important uh, tool and a, and, a, and, a, and a way, it's an important way for you to minister to the single. So often, we kind of just congregate, like uh, the people who are in the, in the similar life stage, the married couples just only congregate and hang out with the other married couples. Singles only just hang out with uh, other singles. But that's not really a wise way for us to really help and serve one another. As God has brought us together at this season of our lives to be in the same church, we are not to only just kind of be with people who are just like us, right? But to really just share our lives, especially for the married couples, to share your life, invite them into your life, invite them to your homes, spend time with them, and just, um, you know, share just whatever the, uh, the wisdom that you may have gleaned, whatever the experiences that you may have ha- had, and how that is also the, the lessons that you have learned and what God is doing in your life. That can really um, serve the singles. Because the singles, as, you know, in turn, because they are more flexible, they have more time, they can also be really uh, doing a lot of things even at church. They can volunteer right, uh, for the Sunday school um, and other opportunities. They're serving in different ways. And as married couples, married people, we can also serve them by sharing our lives and giving them not just only the good part right, or also the struggling part, but through that also just showing them what God is doing in your marriage, what God is do, uh, working on in your life, right? And as we do these things, they can really just um, serve the whole church. So may that be our understanding uh, at our church to really serve one another in that way, share our lives, invite them, invite each other in each other's life, and really just love on them. So may that be our mindset. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father,